invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, we're going to be looking at verses 23 through 27. And while you're doing that, um, just want to give a, a huge thank you to Don McCrory. Uh, you know, it's the person behind the panel didn't look anything like Joanne Van Dyke. Uh, she was supposed to play this morning, but she got stuck in St. Louis last night because of weather. So uh, she's <clears throat> hoping to come home today. And uh, I'm really hoping she comes home today. But uh, Don got a, a call last night about 8, 8.30 um, saying we need help. And so just a huge thank you to that. I think providentially the Lord kept Joanne in St. Louis so that we uh, have found another pianist. And um, welcome to the ranks, Don. But so appreciate your, your uh, willingness and ability to help out there. Just also, Ian and Sarah Van Leeuwen, it's great to see you with us uh, uh, again. Um, Former members here, and my uh, a former boss of mine, Herm Smoose, is uh, here this morning. I used to milk cows for Herm and uh, and feed a whole host of other uh, critters on the farm there. So it's great to see you. Herm is the uh, grandfather of Susan and Jessica. Uh, it's good to be together here as the people of God this morning. We have a we have a challenging text. Uh, let's give our attention to it. I'm going to pick it up in verse 18, so we have a sense of the context, and then uh, we're going to read through verse 27. <clears throat> Let's pick it up in chapter 9, verse 18. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God, the anointed one of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If any would come, anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Father, we have our Bibles open. But, Lord, we need to have our hearts opened. We need to have our minds opened so that, Lord, the truth that you've spoken here can penetrate. And so we pray now that this word, inspired by the Spirit of God, would be illuminated by that same Spirit, uh, that, that our hearts would see um, and believe and learn and love Jesus Christ all the more because of what you say here. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, this is a challenging text. I, did, um, I don't survey people's refrigerators, uh, what you paste on your front doors, but I have to say I've never seen uh, this verse, uh, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and daily and follow me. It doesn't sound, uh, initially, it doesn't sound like good news. It it sounds a little threatening. It sounds scary. Uh, when I read this and was just beginning to study it, I, I just thought to myself, this sounds a little bit like sitting in the dentist chair, and, and he says, this is going to hurt a little, and then he gives you the greatest pain you've ever experienced in your life. <clears throat> uh, most of us agree that Jesus said these things. We don't doubt that. But most of us are at the same time hoping he didn't really mean it like it sounds. 
I think it's best to acknowledge that up front, there's something within us that's a little nervous about this text, and we're hoping that it doesn't sound as difficult uh, as it, it, um, it seems to. Reichen, in his commentary, says, says this. He says, the only way to follow Jesus is to follow him to the very death every day. Frankly, most Christians wish there could be some other way, some easier way. We had hoped that Jesus would refrain from making too many costly demands, that he would endorse the plans we already had for our lives, which were perfectly good plans, most of us would say. Or at least that he would let us live with, uh, for him with as little inconvenience as possible. We said we wanted to follow Jesus, and we meant it, but what we really meant was that we would follow him as long as he was going more or less the way we were planning to go. Instead of giving up the life that we have, we wanted Jesus, we wanted to find a way uh, to add Jesus to it. And I think that's absolutely true. <clears throat> Most of us, uh, yes, um, I want to follow. What was that little kid song? We, I, I, no turning back, no turning back. Remember that song? I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. And, and, and we meant that, but what we hoped that meant was that Jesus was going pretty much in the direction that we had already intended for our lives. Well, we're going to find here that Jesus messes uh, that up a bit. Uh, Peter, you need to see the context here. Peter has just made the great confession. You are the Christ. You are the anointed one of God. And, and Jesus delights in that and says... The Father himself has revealed this to you, Peter. But notice that immediately Jesus then, as we read, goes into clarifying for Peter what it meant. So Peter got Jesus' identity correct, but he did not understand Jesus' role. Peter and all the other uh, disciples just absolutely assumed that Christ of God meant King of Israel uh, that messiahship meant majesty and magnificence and royal splendor and honor. They were absolutely convinced, these men were, that uh, the crowds were starting to wake up to who Jesus was. How could you not, after all that he did? And that Jesus was well on his way to the throne of Israel. That was a given. No one, no one questioned that. Jesus was going to be the king. And so the only thing left to decide was who was going to get to be the, the right-hand guy? Who was going to be second in command? Who were, who were going to fill which chairs in Jesus' royal cabinet? That was all that was left to decide. And we're going to find just a little farther on in Luke chapter 9, the disciples having exactly that discussion. And so they need to understand, that though they get his identity, they don't understand what it means. They don't understand what that's going to look like for Jesus. And so he tells them the Son of Man must suffer many things and be killed. Because they would never have imagined that. Well, in the very same way they, that they misunderstand Jesus' messianic role, they misunderstand their discipleship role. And so Jesus here in our text, immediately following now this great confession, is, is working to explain to them what it means to be a disciple. Because as I said, they assumed that <coughs> they were just lining up to pick their rightful chairs in the royal cabinet. And so uh, Jesus has to explain to them that to be a disciple involves suffering, just like to be a mes to the Messiah, the messianic role involved a cross, 
Following this Jesus also would involve a cross. Discipleship in this world involves dying. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're following a suffering Jesus, a Jesus who died, and that is true for his disciples. Then and now, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That is Jesus' definition of what it means to be a disciple. And there's no plan B. That's his definition. And so that's the title of my message this morning, Jesus' Definition of Discipleship. So we're going to look at just two main points, the principle and then the rationale. As we uh, just listen to Jesus talk to us this morning, saying things that maybe we initially wish he wouldn't say, but he says them, and he says them to us. So the principle. This, is a, um, this definition is, is a universally applied definition. Jesus says, if anyone, he said to all of them, notice in the text, if anyone would come after me, there's no plan B, there's no different tiers of, Christian, of Christians. One of the things the church has erred on in the past is sort of setting up a, two, a two-tier uh, way of being a Christian. In the old days, it was the clergy and the laity. If you really were serious about God, you'd become a monk or a nun and go to live in a monastery. And, and if you were um, maybe not that serious or just not able to do that, then you could be just kind of the, no, the normal lower class Christian. And as a lower, there were some benefits to that. You could get away with things that you couldn't get away with as a monk or a nun. Um, that, that came into evangelicalism, that sort of division in the division of uh, spiritual or carnal Christian. So if you were really serious about Jesus, you could be a spiritual Christian, completely devoted and Jesus was the Lord of your life. But maybe you weren't there yet. You just believed in Jesus as your Savior, but not yet your Lord. And so you could sort of live your life you shouldn't do it, but there was a category for it. You could just live kind of serving yourself, believing in Jesus, but not yet wholly consecrated. There was room for that. Well, those categories just disappear in Jesus' definition here. If anyone would come after me. To be a Christian is to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And so Reckon again says a life of sacrifice and self-denial isn't just for super Christians who share the gospel door to door and travel to dangerous mission fields. It's life is for anyone and everyone who wants to be a disciple. So it's a universal principle. It applies to all of us. And it is a fundamental principle, a core principle. Following Jesus... Being a Christian involves more than just believing in Jesus. There are all sorts of people who believe in Jesus. The devil, of course, believes in Jesus. And yet does not follow him, and that's true of many people as well. They believe in Jesus, but are not following Jesus. The pattern of their life is dictated by something other than the person and the work of Christ. Their core values and desires and pursuits are formed by the world and the flesh, not by Jesus. So what Christ is saying, what Jesus is saying is that the real thing is believing in Jesus that follows Jesus. Believing in Jesus, believing in Christ, a faith that follows. And Jesus gives us three words here that are very helpful to get a sense of what that actually means. Notice the three words in the text. We must... Any man uh, who wants to follow Jesus, let him deny himself. So that's stated negatively. 
Let him take up his cross daily, that's stated positively, and follow me, that's stated purposefully. So what's what we're going to look at, Jesus' definition stated negatively, positively, and then what is the purpose? Negatively, let him deny himself. The Greek word here is a very strong word of negation. It, it means to reject, repudiate, disown. And the thing that we are to reject and repudiate and disown is self. Self. I hope we sense how diametrically opposed that is to our sinful, natural, native way of living. It strikes a little two-year-old as eminently reasonable that they should rule the world. No one told them that. No one, you didn't have to convince them of that. It's just, it's just evident to them. They don't want that. They want this, and they want it now. And with a cheerful heart, right? Where do we learn that? That's our native disposition. It's our native disposition. Think about just this past week. Did you find yourself frustrated with someone this past week? Well, what was the cause? Was it because that person was not honoring Jesus as they ought? Was it because the Father's name was not being glorified as it should be? Probably not. Most likely the cause of your frustration with that person is because they were not in line with your agenda. And you had reasons they should be in line with your agenda. It was a reasonable agenda. You wanted what you wanted. You needed what you needed. You see, self-serving really feels self-justifying. It, 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 it feels like you shouldn't have to make a, a case for it. Now, this is so important for us to, to hear, that self-denial is not just one more list of rules on the, on the whole list of things you need to do along with everything else if you're going to be a good Christian. Right? Love, joy, peace, patience, self-denial. We just add this to the list of, of things that you're supposed to do. You're supposed to love people. You're supposed to, be, you're supposed to deny yourself. It's not like that. Self-denial goes to the foundation of discipleship, and it is the open door to all the rest of the things that God wants from us, all the other fruits. You can't do love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness if you are committed to yourself. It is an immediate upfront roadblock. It just it can't possibly work that you are both committed with all your heart to having your own way and serving yourself and living your life on your terms and being a follower of Jesus Christ and bearing the fruit of the Spirit. So self-denial is at the bottom. It's at the core. But the self-denial that Jesus is speaking of has to be the right kind of self-denial. Now, this might seem picky, but it's, it's just true. You see, there is a way of self of denying yourself that has nothing of Jesus in it. The Pharisees of Jesus' day are a perfect example of it. They denied themselves all sorts of things. They denied themselves um, dietary, uh, so certain uh, things they couldn't eat. They, they kept very strict rules for the Sabbath. They tithed. They fasted. They denied themselves all over the place, and Jesus rebukes them for it. Their self-denial is offensive to him. Why? Because there's nothing of God or Jesus in it. Their self-denial is in the service of self-righteousness. It's self-denial in the service of self-righteousness. You know what that is. You've seen it. You've done it. 
It's when you decide to not say what you want to say when a friend makes an inconsiderate remark or your spouse has some thoughtless action and then you quietly congratulate yourself for taking the high moral ground. That's self-denial in pursuit of self-righteousness. Boys and girls, it's when you don't take the biggest piece of pizza because, well, you're supposed to have good manners, you want to do the right thing, but then you really resent the person who snuck in behind you and did grab it. Right? Have you ever done that? I've done that. I'm going to be the good person here. I won't take that. Well, look at that guy. That's self-denial in the service of self-righteousness. There's nothing of, there's nothing of, of God or Jesus in that. You see, the, the, the self-denial, self-denial is essential, but it has to be the right kind of self-denial, or it's no good. It's of no use to God or to others. The world does not need more miserable Christians denying themselves things they secretly wish they could have in a self-serving pursuit of their own self-righteousness. Okay, let me say that again. The world does not need more miserable Christians denying themselves things they secretly wish they could have in a self-serving pursuit of their own self-righteousness. It's offensive to everybody. It stinks. There's no grace in it. There's no love in it. It's just all about you doing whatever you're doing to make yourself look good. And yet Jesus says we have to deny ourselves. But it's got to be the right kind. Well, what's the right kind? Positively stated helps us here. Take up your cross daily. That's what Jesus says. Take up your cross daily. It's common for people to speak of their cross as some trial. You've got a, a miserable boss. You have an uh, unruly child. You've got some illness, some whatever, some circumstance in your life you wish wasn't there. And, and people will say, that's just the cross I have to bear. I, I don't think I've ever seen someone say that where I, I felt, um, wow, good for you. It, it, and I've said it, right? It, but it's, it seems like whining. It's just a cross I have to bear. No! Jesus is not talking about some providential hardship that God has brought into your life. Notice, uh, he's talking about a daily, intentional, chosen death to self. You choose this. It doesn't happen to you. Your cross doesn't happen to you, um, unfortunately. It is what you it's what you choose as a daily way of living. And you choose to die. So Leon Morris says, When a man from one of their villages took up a cross and went off with a little band of Roman soldiers, you knew he was on a one-way journey. He would not be bad. Right? There goes so-and-so carrying his cross. He's not going to be bad. That's what Jesus is talking about. Everyone in those days understood what a cross was. It's the electric chair. So Jesus is saying every day you strap yourself in that thing and you flip the switch. Every day you do that to self. Johnny Erickson Tata, woman who has suffered so much, could easily talk about bearing crosses, but she says the cross is the place where you die to sin and live to God. And that's the important third part here. It's purposeful. Follow me, Jesus says. 
The self-denial discipleship is not an end in and of itself. It's not just denying self because you're supposed to deny yourself. It's to the purpose of something else, a great end, which is the serving of Jesus Christ, following Jesus Christ. So it is intentionally saying no to self in order to say yes to Jesus. No to my agenda, no to my way, no to my will, so I can say yes to Jesus and yes to his way and yes to his will. So when dealing with the ordinary boss or the hurtful comment or the unruly child, it's saying no to my, uh, uh, the agenda of my hurting heart at that moment and yes to the agenda of King Jesus. What is Jesus pursuing in this moment? Think of how that would transform your marriage and, and your friendships and the way you parent your children and the way you respond to your parents. Boys and girls, sometimes your parents ask things that don't make sense. It just doesn't seem reasonable to you. But what would Jesus be trying to accomplish in that moment? Maybe Jesus is just trying to teach you the benefits of authority and the blessings of obedience. Maybe Jesus is just asking you to serve him with a glad heart and do what mom and dad says just because that's what God wants you to do. And maybe Jesus is trying to teach you a lesson that will serve you for the rest of your life, that every time you try to go your way and have your way, it's going to end up badly. See, what is Jesus about? What's Jesus' purpose? That's what he's, it's a, it's, it is self-denial with this inglorious purpose, this goal, this desire. And that's what it is essential for us to see if we're going to, if we're going to lay hold of this and embrace this. And Jesus gives us reasons for this sort of self-denial. Notice verses 24, 25, and 26 all begin with the word for. So you deny yourself, you take up your cross, and you follow Jesus. Why? What's the rationale? What are the reasons? What are the motivations? Well, notice, the rationale in general is life is gained only by losing it for Jesus' sake. That's the general principle. For, verse 24, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That's, that's, a, that's quite a statement. He's just laying it down. There's, there's two groups of people Jesus has in mind. Those who would save their life. It means they intend to. They plan to. They structure their efforts and their resources in order to gain a good life, a comfortable life, a life full and rich with things that they like, they enjoy. And so to, to those folks, radical self-denial it doesn't really make sense because it runs against the grain of what they're doing. They're trying to gain life. They're seeking to bring comfort and security and happiness to their life because they think that's where life is. And again, you don't have to teach that to anyone. That is the self-evident purpose for life if you just look around and look within yourself. The self-evident purpose Reason for living is to make yourself happy. It's to be happy. So if you work hard and you save up and you spend judiciously uh, to make life better for yourself and better for your children, that life needs no justification, right? 
Well, maybe. Maybe. You see, Jesus, Jesus is challenging us. You want to find your life by building your life, by making your life? You want to seek your life in the very normal, reasonable things of this world? Is radical self-denial for the sake of Christ just not your thing? You, you believe in Jesus, you're willing to go to church, you believe the doctrine, but when it comes to, to your daily life, following Jesus in humility and gentleness and death to self-obedience to Christ and service to others, that's just really not your thing. Okay, but you will lose your soul. You will lose your soul. I don't think Jesus is kidding. I think a life spent serving you, I don't care what you believe, is a life that ends exactly the way Jesus says it will end. You will lose it. And there will be all sorts of people who have gone to church every Sunday, who believed the doctrines, but when it came to their day-to-day life and how they responded to their spouse and to their friends and in their work. It was all legal. It was all understandable and even reasonable. It just wasn't discipleship. And then there's the other group, those who do lose their life for Christ's sake. There's no would, right? Jesus doesn't say they would lose their life. In other words, these aren't people that just have good intentions to lose their life for Christ at some point in the future. They don't make plans at some point down the road to give sacrificially and and die to self in some vague way. They just do it. They lose their life. They they actually do it. So so Riken says, the case is not theoretical, it's factual. Jesus is speaking about something more than being willing to lose our lives, which is where we often sort of default to. Right? If Jesus would ask, if, if he would ever asks me to lose my life, I think that I'm I'm willing. And as long as you're willing to lose your life, then you can have your life. You can live your life. You can pursue your life. Well, that's not what Jesus says. He's talking about something more than being willing to lose our life. He's talking about actually giving our lives to him. So we lose our life by giving ourselves completely over to Jesus in faith. We lose our life by living for others and not for ourselves. We lose our life by giving people the gospel even if they end up rejecting it and rejecting us. We lose our life by giving sacrificial support to the ministry of God's word locally and internationally. As we give our life away, by the grace of God, we end up saving it. And that's what Jesus says. If you give it away, you save it. It's, it's, a, it's an incredible paradox. It's, it's, totally con- so, it's so contrary to what we would assume. Geldenheis says, Everyone who tries to secure for himself pleasure and happiness in life dooms himself to failure. He will never find real joy or full life. He commits suicide. But he who lays his life upon the altar in the service of Christ, who strives for his honor and the extension of his kingdom, spontaneously finds true joy in life here and hereafter. You want to be a happy Christian, a happy person? Then lay down your life for Jesus, right? I mean, that's how it works. And if you want to be a miserable person, then just pursue your life. So notice what Jesus is doing. You see, he's, he's given us the very best reasons to die to self, to follow him, 
to do things that don't seem natural and maybe as scary and, and, and painful. I mean, what would happen in your, in your difficult marriage relationship if you actually just died to yourself and said, I'm sorry? And you just let the other person run all over you. Now again, I can hear someone saying, well, you're encouraging abuse. No, I'm not. I'm just saying, what if you laid down your rights in that sense? What if you laid down your way? What if you laid down all of that? You were so, so concerned about losing. What if you died to that and you just hungered for Jesus and, and Jesus' way and Jesus' agenda? It doesn't mean there aren't times and places where, where you have to stand up for what is righteous and true and good in your marriage. I'm not saying that. But most of the tension, most of the breakdown in marital relationships is simply because we've got one or two people who are just living the very normal, natural way of serving self. And so what dies aren't the individuals but the marriage. So why would you want to do that? Why would you want to just give up and, and, and not just give up in, in self-defeat, but give up in glorious faith? Well, because you're convinced it's the way to live. You're convinced it's the way to live. I remember going to Haiti. Uh, with, the first time I went to Haiti with Eric Hauser, uh, we, um, one of the team members was a dentist, and so we went up in the back hills, and we sent up this little tent and a folding chair, and they had some dental equipment, and I saw children there being treated with no Novocaine, teeth extracted, cavities drilled and filled, no Novocaine. And tears would be running down the face of these children. They're sitting in that chair, and they just sat there. I thought, what in the world? Why would, why would they do that? Well, you know why they would do that is because the, many of them had been living weeks, if not months, with the excruciating pain of an abscessed tooth. And their jaws would be swollen, with just red with infection and pain. And, and so you see, the, the pain of the treatment was welcome in light of the pain they had experienced and the pain they would experience if they were not treated. Now, I'm, I'm not trying to say that being a disciple of Jesus is like having your teeth pulled out without Novocaine. Okay, that's what your flesh thinks. That's what the world thinks. But the Bible says the commands of the Lord are light. See, that's the beauty of it. You want to live a hard life? Serve yourself. You want to live a, a painful life? Serve yourself. You want to live a joyful life? Serve Jesus. His yoke is easy compared to the bondage and the burden of guilt and slavery to yourself. So Jesus is trying to incentivize us by teaching us to look at things from a brand new perspective, heaven's perspective. To notice the fleeting pleasures of, of the things of this world and compare it to the incredible joy of, of serving Christ. Notice what he says, 25. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Friends, have you ever seriously contemplated the awful misery of forfeiting your soul? Have you just thought about that? Have you ever seriously considered what your unrepented sin behavior or your sinful attitude will cost you? Have you ever just tried to get your mind around what it would be like 
on that last day to see the Son of God in all of His glory, in all of His beauty, in all of His honor, surrounded by His holy angels and being, uh, being surrounded by all those who belonged to Him. And they're going to share in that glory and in that honor and in that beauty forever and ever in majesty and light. And you're not going to be there. Jesus said that hell will be a place of weeping, wailing. Have you ever considered why? I always just assumed that the weeping and the wailing would be because of the pain of the torments of hell. And I think that's certainly a part of it. But but my sense is that the most prominent weeping in hell will be the devastated, soul-wracking, broken-hearted weeping of regret. Ever heard an adult cry with regret? It's an awful, awful cry. Unresolvable. You can't fix it. You can't undo it. Awful despair, desperation for things done and choices made and things lost that can't ever be gained again. Friends, I just, I just can't imagine being there on that last day and to realize with horror how cheaply you sold your soul and how resolutely you resisted coming to the one who was willing to give you everlasting life. I, I can't imagine being there. And yet people will be there. People will be there. I have found when tempted to serve myself and I'm tempted every day or to give in to a besetting sin or resist dying to self and serving others for Jesus' sake, it's very helpful for me to say, is this worth losing your soul? Is this worth losing Christ, losing heaven, losing glory and joy and life forever? Now, some of you might object and say, well, Christians can't lose those things. We believe in the perseverance of the saints, and yes, we do. And we believe it because Jesus said, no one can snatch them out of my hand. But the doctrine of the perseverance of saints is the doctrine of the preserving power of God. And God preserves us by leading us along the road of discipleship. And if you refuse to walk the road of discipleship, you have no reasons for assurance that you are being preserved. The doctrine of the perseverance of the saints is not a ticket for you to get to live your life as you like or refuse to die where Jesus is calling you to die. So why love your wife when you don't think she deserves it? Why respect your husband when he doesn't seem to be earning it? Why obey your parents when you think they're being unreasonable? Why forgive the person who has deeply wounded you? Because Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Why give sacrificially of your money to Christ and his church when there are so many other bills to pay? Why reach out to someone in pain or need when you already have so much going on in your life? Why open your home to strangers? Because Jesus says, what would it profit if you gained the whole world and lost your own soul? Why speak to a coworker about Christ when you know they're going to laugh at you? Why pray for missionaries and support the spread of the gospel? Why risk Others mocking by walking away from a dirty joke or refusing to accommodate gossip. Why deny yourself the pleasures of an enjoyable movie just because it exalts sexual immorality and takes the Lord's name in vain? 
Because Jesus said, whoever is ashamed of me in my words, I will be ashamed of him when I come in glory. Is that movie worth that? Now let me wrap up with this. Friends, these are hard things, but I, I think Jesus meant it. But there's a wonder here. And the wonder is that Jesus died for the sins of disciples. See, these words could be nothing more than condemnation. It'd be the easiest thing in the world just to make us all feel incredibly guilty and like incredible failures, and we walk out with nothing but, but failure and condemnation. But I want you to remember what's going on here. Jesus has just said, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, I will be ashamed, ashamed of him when I come in glory. Do you realize that in a, just a short period of time, Peter would be denying he ever knew Jesus. He would be ashamed of Jesus in the most awful, awful way. Don't you think these words were reverberating through his conscience, through his mind? How could he possibly be saved? Didn't Jesus say that he would be ashamed of him? Here he had been embarrassed to admit he knew Jesus in front of this girl. How could Peter ever, ever recover? How could he be saved? Well, the same way anyone is saved, through the blood of Jesus. See, Jesus didn't come for the righteous. He didn't come for the, 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 the discipleship success stories in that sense. He came for the, the sinners. He went to the cross for discipleship failures like Peter and like you and like me. He died bearing the guilt of all the times you've been ashamed of Jesus. Jesus died bearing that guilt. And all the times you sought your life apart from Jesus, Jesus died bearing the wrath for that. And all the times that you refused to deny yourself and you committed yourself to living for yourself and, and ignoring Jesus, he died for that. The worst sins you could commit, Jesus went to the cross for those sins. You see, the beauty of this text, in, in a sense, is that the Jesus who calls you and me to this road of self-denying, cross-embracing discipleship, he walked it first for you. The very Son of God denied Himself. The Son of God denied Himself. The Son of God embraced the cross of judgment and divine wrath, bearing our sin. And that changes everything, you see, because His cross was the experience of eternal death, so our cross could be the experience of life. Jesus is inviting us to life when he calls us to take up our cross and follow him. His cross was the experience of divine wrath, so our cross could always be an experience of fatherly delight and affection. As you take up your cross, you know the Father is pleased. When we were lost in the perversion and rebellion of our wickedness, Jesus was not ashamed to stand before his Father and call us brothers. So how could we, those redeemed by his blood, be ashamed to stand before mere men and call him Lord? Jesus died for the sins of disciples, and Jesus lives, friends, for the present sanctification and future glorification of his disciples. We really can walk in newness of life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. He is able, friends, to present you without fault, with great joy. 
before the throne of his presence on that last day. And so let's follow him. Let's follow him. I just want to ask you as we wrap up here, what, what, is, what is it that Jesus is calling you to die to? It might be a relationship you shouldn't be in. It might be a, a pattern of entertainment that is simply not in keeping with who you are in Christ and what Christ has done for you. What is it? Look at the things close to you. Look at your relationships. Where is Jesus, the one who loved you and loves you and gave his life for you? Where is Jesus saying, come, follow me, follow me? And friend, if you've never done that, if you know that today you're living in sin and if you would die today, you would be on the wrong side of eternity. Jesus Christ is inviting you today, friend, to die to yourself, to believe that what Jesus says he means and to know that when he, offers when he offers salvation to you, that if you confess your sin and you believe in him, you will be saved. Jesus means that all the more. He gave his life for it. And if you've never done that, I just plead with you to come and talk to me. Talk to someone so we can pray with you and you can discover what life really is in knowing and following this Jesus. May God grant it. Amen. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you speak with powerful, devastating words and yet beautiful, life-giving words. Oh God, you know us and you've uncovered us this morning. For we all, Lord, get comfortable living for ourselves and, and it's wicked. It doesn't belong to those who belong to Jesus. How can we follow a suffering Savior and insist on having our way Lord there are, there are husbands and wives that need to confess their sin to each other today they need to acknowledge that they've been serving themselves and it's wrong and ask for forgiveness there are children who need to confess to their parents and parents to their children there are friends who need to be reconciled. There are patterns of life that need to be put aside. Sins that we've come to love that need to be parted with, rejected. But Lord, that all those things are possible only by your grace and power. I pray that we would have such a vision of Jesus, such a sense of his beauty and his love for us, such a wonderful con con conviction that we are forgiven and loved and that nothing matters more than following him. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would teach us to die then that we might live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.